0: A couple of weeks ago, Dave showed me that. He said, could you use this any Sunday? I said, I know exactly the Sunday I want to use it. Do you ever have questions like that? God, I've walked with you for a long time, but I'm still wondering when you're going to do what I've been waiting for. All kinds of questions and trying to do it on our own. We find ourselves really running into paths that don't make sense. I don't know if you're one of those people who've had those moments in your life where as a teacher or youth worker, a Sunday school teacher, a social worker, or even a mom or a dad, and you wondered, is this kid getting it? I mean, am I really making a difference? I've been working so hard. I, I've really put everything I've got into my students or my children, and I wonder every once in a while, am I going to see the end product now in this lifetime? Do they get it? I've worked so hard with this family, and yet they're still struggling, and I've been in this kind of work and this kind of field for a long period of time, and I keep wondering every once in a while, am I making a difference? Do they get it? Imagine being a missionary in a remote area of the world. You've preached the gospel for years, and yet when you look around, you see a handful of converts. You've spent all your life, you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, that is exactly where God wanted you. And you spend 10 years or 15 years or 20 years of your life, and you know the sand is ticking out, and yet you have not seen a lot of end product. But you know that's what you're to do. Imagine a young pastor in a small church who's not seen a lot of growth, and they're just trying to make ends meet, trying to get by from week to week, hoping, maybe just hoping, somebody new would actually show up. And then they come to a campus like this, and they say, wow. Maybe you've invested in a ministry. You're not sure how to measure your return. At least in a bank, you can see it grow. Well, not lately. But how do you measure it in the ministry? How do you measure change in people's lives? Maybe you've prayed for something for years and yet still no answer. Well, if any of those resonate with you, take your Bibles out and turn to James chapter 5. Today and next Sunday morning, we're going to wrap up our series in the book of James. And this section that we're in today flows right out of the first few that we shared last Sunday morning in the last half of chapter 4. Where James has just simply reminded us that life is short, eternity is long. And even though it may not seem it, and even though it may seem like life is dragging on, James said, I want you to know, life is short, eternity is wrong, so invest the resources of your life in things that really matter. Because life, to be honest with you, is more about making a difference than it is about making a living. You're going to make a living. You have to make a living. But you want to make sure all the energy and resources of your life have been poured into the right things. So when it's all said and done, you can look back on it saying, I've done what I've been asked to do. Jesus talked about it over and over again. In Matthew chapter 6, he said, "I, I need you to have an eternal mindset. I want you to invest in things that last. You may not see it right now, but I guarantee you it's being stored up in heaven. In Matthew 25, he said to sow the resources of our life in kingdom work because they will have an incredible reward. He said, even a simple cup of cold water given in my name can honestly make an incredible difference in someone's life. And many times the joy of giving that cup of cold water is evident, and sometimes it's not. And then every once in a while, in God's amazing grace, He gives you just a glimpse of an answer to a prayer you've been praying. For the last number of years, Connie and I and some of our staff have been involved in a Ministry in Dakar, West, Senegal, West Africa with Jewel and Evan Evans. And every November and every spring and January, they take their students on a missions trip and outreach experience into a very remote village and do an incredible amount of work in just a short amount of time to meet the needs of hundreds, sometimes thousands of people, many of them who have never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in a nation that's well over 95% Muslim. And in the middle of all of that, these students who are high school students pray over people, and every once in a while, God does an amazing work. Watch this video clip.
1: One of the first people we prayed for when we got to the medical clinic was a man with a frozen shoulder. He, um, he couldn't move his arm past this point and my hand was on his arm the entirety of the time and as we prayed um, his arm progressively moved up and by the fourth time we'd finished praying and asking if there'd been any improvement he could completely lift his arm and it was incredible because before you could see so much pain on his face and um, he really it was so stiff it was He really wasn't able to move it. And so it was incredible that Jesus did change that so much. And um, he was just filled with so much joy the rest of the day and telling everyone about his amazing experience.
0: Okay, could you imagine the excitement in those students' face after watching that take place? Right in front of their eyes. What's interesting is there's a Paul Harvey rest of the story that's not even on a video at all that I learned from Evan in that that girl's mom is a missionary who had a very similar problem and prayed and God did not heal. And she couldn't figure out why for a long period of time, only to find out in God's incredible sovereignty that she was to go see a doctor who really needed to know about Jesus. And had she been healed then when others were praying, she would have never had that opportunity. Sometimes you see the answer, sometimes you don't. And in the middle of all of that, you have to decide like I have to decide. God, do I trust you? even when I don't. Sometimes you give your time and your talent and your resources into someone's life or a kingdom endeavor, and you wonder, is it making any difference? Sometimes you see the harvest that you've sowed, sometimes not. Sometimes as a teacher you get the note, and other times you don't. God has blessed us here, obviously, in amazing ways, but you as well as I know that we stand on the shoulders of some people who have given their time and their talent and their resources who would have never even imagined that God would have blessed us in this kind of way. But they continue to go on and share and do. If you've seen results, praise God. If you've not, hold on. James, I think, knows that people in his context who know that everything has just taken place, the world has been fractured, their lives have been turned upside down, they're all over the place wondering, is what we just heard about Jesus true? And when I don't see it and I wasn't there, and I'm not sure what the end's going to look like, do I hold on forever? I think James knew there were times in the life of people that they would wonder, is it worth it all? Am I making a difference? And James would say, be patient. Don't you love that? I would rather have some other advice. I'd rather have him tell me, look, here it is, there it is, there it is, watch. But instead, in chapter 5, verse 7, he said, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And he patiently waits for autumn and the spring rains. You too. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge, by the way, is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, this is an example of patience in the face of suffering. Why don't you take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord? As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard about Job's perseverance. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James says to those who wonder, am I making a difference? Is there an end? What's going to happen? Why don't I see answers? Hold on. Which, if you're honest, like me, isn't easy to do. Especially when you've invested your long-time life investments into something, and you wonder, am I making a difference? The Greek word for patience means to long to anger. Be long to anger. Essentially, don't get easily frustrated because you haven't seen results. It may take longer than you thought. You and I have a tendency to get frustrated when we don't see results, and... Even though James said life is short, when I'm wondering if it's worth it, I'm wondering why the prayers aren't answered. It doesn't seem short, does it? It seems like you've been frustrated for a long time, and in the midst of that frustration, there's a tendency for us to bail out. It's not working. They're not getting it. What I'm doing doesn't make any difference. They're not responding. I don't know if I can keep going. I think James knows that that feeling is normal. So he says, be patient. And I would say, okay, be patient. Can I just ask you how long I have to be patient? (laughs) A a month? A year? Five years? I'm okay with a month. I'm okay with a year. I'm okay with a few years. But can I just ask you, James, how long do you want me to be patient? I love James. He answers the question, how long until the coming of the Lord? (laughs) I'm going, I was hoping the answer was shorter than that. Now, that phrase confirms a few things. One is that some of us may not see the results of our investment until then. You and I may not see it here in this life at all. And we have to decide, will I keep going? Will I keep trusting? Will I keep praying? Will I keep investing or not? A friend of mine were talking the other day about seeing God face to face and what it was going to be like when we get to heaven. They had heard a mention that I'd made a sermon a couple of weeks ago about wondering what it was going to look like And we talked about all the things we'd want to do. And I said to him, you know, a lot of people can't wait to get to heaven, obviously to see Jesus, to see their loved ones. A lot of people say, man, I can't wait to see Moses. What was it really like to part the Red Sea? Elijah, what was it really like to call down fire from heaven? Joshua, what was it like to follow the shoes or in the shoes of somebody like Moses? I mean, why would you want to take over after him? And then the list is endless of Peter and James and John and Paul. I said to him, I'd love to see all those people, but i got all eternity to do that. What I want to do is go to the video room of heaven. Now, they're probably not VHS. They're probably in DVD. I don't even know what they're going to be on. And I said, what I want to do is go to the video room of heaven, and I want to say, God, is there any chance, just for a moment, I'm going to see all those people later. But would you mind showing me this date, this time, this event? Because I'd love to know what was going on behind the scenes. And I'd love to know why that happened the way it did or why you didn't answer then or what was going on. Is there any chance, now I know some of you who are great theologians that will have already read Scripture and say, when we get there, we'll know everything. And, and I certainly believe that's true. But just for a moment, I'd love an extended period of time where I just watch it unfold. Because sometimes, every once in a while, you come to those points in your life and you want to say God, I'm not sure about this one, but I'd love to know what you're doing. And every once in a while, he shows us. And sometimes he doesn't. And in a culture like ours that is all about instant gratification and instant information, that's hard to hear. Because we want an answer now. You can get an answer now to any question you have in your life. All you do is type it in and the answer is there. And James is writing to people who did not have internet, by the way who didn't have any of the resources we have and who wonder about life and don't see the results. Every once in a while, in God's amazing grace, He gives us glimpses. But many of us may not see the full picture until the end of time. And we have to decide, will I keep going, will I keep praying, will I keep trusting, no matter what. The other thing this tells us, not only will we see things at the end of time, the other thing this tells us is that you and I have been called to live a life of faith not sight faith he tells us in case you wonder what it means is confidence in what we hope for and full assurance about what we do not see confidence not i wish i'm thinking i'm pretty sure i would like to hope confidence that he is in charge that he is doing what he wants to do he is doing it for our best interest and our best benefit it is absolute confidence that even though i don't see the end result I'm going to trust him no matter what in the things that I cannot see. Any of you, by the way, see Jesus rise from the dead, visibly. But we've been sharing the story, and we're going to celebrate it on an Easter Sunday morning, and we're absolutely convinced that he did. Faith is the absolute confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. You may see the results, and you may not, and you and I have to decide, do I trust him or not? James says, look at the farmer. He gives great examples almost always in something they probably could see out in front of them. There are things the farmer can do and things he can't. He can plow, he can plant, he can till, but he can't control the weather weather, and he can't even control the weatherman. He can't even believe the weatherman and he cannot make it grow. I had to throw that in there even though it wasn't in my notes. I'm just fascinated by people that are 70% wrong and still get paid. Does it not drive you crazy when you can't make your kids respond to this incredible wisdom you've been giving them for years? Doesn't it just drive you crazy that they just don't respond like the way you hope to that incredible amount of wisdom that you've been giving them for years? James goes on. Consider the prophets. I'm going to give you one. To me, one of the most amazing. God calls Jeremiah when he was. Matter of fact, before you were born, I knew you. This is what I called you to do. I'm going to call you to preach. I, I want you to be a preacher. I want you to be a prophet. I want you to preach. I just need you to know up front nobody's going to listen. Well, I mean, would you still do that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm blown away. Here I am all these years still blown away by the fact that y'all come every week to hear me. Can you imagine knowing up front that they're not going to listen? Now, even though I don't get a lot of feedback from you, I at least hope that most of you listen and respond to what it is that we're sharing from Sunday to Sunday. Jeremiah is still doing it. I just need you to know no one will listen. That's not fair. That may be true. But if you know God's in it, you have to decide, do I trust Him or not? Job went through horrific circumstances. When you read his story, you're you're blown away. One of the most incredible stories in all the Old Testament. Lost it all. Now, on the front end of losing most of it, he said, even if he slays me, I'll still love him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But I've often wondered, would he still say that if God hadn't replaced? He was saying it on this end, which I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt, he's convinced that no matter what God does, he's trusting him. It's incredible. All the disciples but one died a martyr's And the book of Hebrews is one of the most unbelievable stories of story after story after story of a life living out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, evidence of things hoped for, the vision of things not seen. It's almost as if he ran out of time. Now, we pastors never seem to run out of time, although we look at the clock and if you would have been a part of the first service, you'd have been five minutes early. You won't be today because I've got it adjusted, so just be patient. But it's almost as if he ran out of time and he goes in verse 32, and what more can I say? I don't even have the time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised to they shut the mouths of lion, they quenched the fiery flames, they escaped the edge of the sword. Her weakness was turned to strength, they became powerful in battle and routed out enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others, though, who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, sawed and two killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world wasn't even worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and holes in the ground. They were all, every one of them, commended for their faith, yet not a one of them received what was promised. The chapter's incredible because the first half is the fact that they all did see fire from heaven, lions shut their mouth, those escaped the edge of the sword, they routed foreign armies, the last half of those who never saw the end product, yet they continued to walk in faith. Now some will say, wait a minute, you talk all the time about joy in serving, joy in doing, joy in investing. James said there is that, but sometimes you need to know it's in the end. And he's calling you and I to have an eternal perspective. Be patient, he said in verse 8. Stand firm. The Lord's coming is near. Be very patient. Strengthen your heart. The Lord's coming is at hand. What you have to remember when James is writing this and associating himself with Peter, James, and some of the other ones, one of the very last things they heard Jesus say when he was physically on this earth, when Peter said to him, Lord, there's John over there. I know what you said is going to happen to me at the end of my time here on earth, but what about John? He's your favorite. I know that. It was a funny fascination between the two. What's going to happen to him? Jesus said, what is it to you if I keep him here alive until I return? So what do you think Peter's expecting? A return. He's expecting to be here, or at least John to be here when he returns. And now he's writing his book and It hasn't happened yet. He said, look, I want you to know. In the last days, that's fascinating because he wrote it 2,000 years ago. In the last days, scoffers will come and they'll say, where is this coming you promised? Where's the coming he promised? Ever since their ancestors died, everything seems to go on since the day of creation. But they deliberately forget that a long time ago, by the Lord's word, the heavens came down, came into being, and the earth was formed out of the water. And by those same waters, it was destroyed. By the same word, this present heaven and earth will be reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So do not forget this one thing. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping His promise, not at all. As you and I understand slowness, instead He's patient. doesn't want anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I just need you to know it will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will be Disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. The Lord is near. You know what that means? The next event. The last event, the very last event, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The next event, his coming. To the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years like today. You know how long he's been gone? Two days. You know when he's coming back? Today. Tomorrow. There's been a lot of speculation, and even when I said a couple of weeks ago that I was doing Revelation, I know there's some that are maybe going to be disappointed because I'm not going to do any speculation, only interpretation. There's been a lot of speculation down through the ages about when it's going to happen and what's going to happen and all the things that line up so that you can kind of figure it out. And once you see this and once you see that and once you see this, you know what has to happen before Jesus to come back? Nothing. The Lord's return is imminent the trumpet will blow, the Lord will come. And that coming could mean two things, the second coming of Jesus or coming from you. And neither one of them can be predicted. Jesus said, no one, no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they try to figure it out, not one person knows the day nor the hour except God. And unless one of you or I or God, you won't know. So stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful to the end. It could be on that day, and you realize what I had done or what I should have done didn't make a difference or it could blow your mind because you will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you've done was worth it all. I imagine in my mind what it was like for Billy Graham to go to heaven and all the accolades that he had already received. And I'm sure he probably recognized the fact when he got there, there would be incredible results of that people from all around the world, the statistics were pretty well known of all the people that he had spoken to and all the people that he preached to and all the people who came to faith in Christ. Now, he was going to be surprised, I'm sure, with the ones that he didn't, but I've often wondered, what is it like for those who spent all their life investing and hadn't heard the statistics and hadn't seen the results and didn't know about all the crowds and hadn't seen all those that came forward? And all of a sudden they get there and they find out, wow, my neighbor, that guy I've been witnessing to and shared with and then moved away and I've often wondered, that, that person that was in the cubby beside me, that student that I had in high school, or that one I had in elementary school and all of a sudden now here they are. And, and everything I did and everything I shared and everything we talked about and here they are. It's incredible. A number of years ago, and I've read it two or three or four times down through the ages, it's a story of Teddy Stoddard. What's interesting about the story is that it's not true. It's a fictional story uh, loosely based on the life of Elizabeth Ballard, who wrote it for Home Life magazine in 1976, but the story was repeated so many times down through the ages that Robert Shuler thought it was true, and Paul Harvey shared it like it was brand new news. But it was the story of Teddy. And a teacher who saw this little kid slumped in the first row, who didn't seem to respond to anything, passed over, passed to the next grade, to the next grade, to the next grade, the family lands in her lap. He brought her presents at Christmas time, and he brought one as well wrapped in a grocery bag. He opened it up, it was a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle of perfume with most of it gone. Put the bracelet on, put the perfume on, and he said, you smell like mom used to. She decided on that very day to quit teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic, and instead to teach students, and there's an enormous difference. She paid particular attention to him, and as the story goes on, he became one of the smartest in the class. He wrote notes to her periodically about her being the best teacher in his whole life. Years later, graduating high school, wrote a note to her. Four years later, graduating from college with high honors, four years more passed, and another letter comes and it was signed Teddy Stoddard, M.D. He met a girl soon to be married. His father had passed away in the story and he was wondering if she would come and sit in a place that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. She, of course, did wearing the bracelet and the perfume. Couldn't believe that she came and the differences she made. The story is a fictional story made up on her life and her story What's fascinating is it had become so popular and shared so many times because so many people wanted to believe it and really wanted to know, am I making a difference? Does it matter? And what I'm doing is what I'm doing and who I'm investing in. Is their life being changed? And every once in a while, God gives you an incredible glimpse Two months ago, I received a notice from a lady on LinkedIn, which I don't even hardly ever use, saying, I've always wanted to tell you that a young girl that you ministered to when we were in Africa just graduated from medical school and looking forward to going back. There's a young girl whose parents happened to be sitting here this morning that I had in my notes, who came to faith in Christ. The whole family came to faith in Christ. And now to this day, after graduating from Regent University with a doctorate in education, is teaching struggling students in Kenya, East Africa. Every once in a while, you get a glimpse of what God is doing. You get a glimpse of an answer, and most of the time, you don't. But you always have to decide, even in the midst of all of that uncertainty, do I trust, will I trust, because I'm absolutely convinced that God knows exactly what He's doing, and I'm going to keep on holding on to the end. Paul said in Corinthians, our light and momentary troubles, light and momentary troubles, which don't seem like it at the time, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So if you've ever sat beside the bedside of a dying friend or to the funeral home and you didn't know what to say, or maybe you're in school or college and you're trying to do the best you can to stand up for your convictions and you wonder, is what I'm doing making a difference in the lives of those that I'm trying to represent Jesus to? Don't give up. If you're a teacher and not sure if you're making a difference, if they're getting it at all, my encouragement to you is do not give up. If you're sharing your faith and no one seems to care, keep living it out. If you've been praying for a long time and you still don't have that answer, do not give up. Keep praying. Mom and dad, that teenager who's driving you crazy, do not give up. Keep on loving, keep on caring, keep on praying. You go to the doctor and there's no answer. Keep on trusting. Maybe you've lost someone who's close to you and the days of loneliness seem to drag on forever. If you know Christ and you know they knew Christ, hold on because in a few days you'll see each other again. Mom, you lost that little one. All I'm saying is hold on because in less than a day you'll see them again. When the world around you doesn't make sense and life seems so unpredictable, do not give up. Hold on, because it'll be worth it, because there will come a day.
2: One day you'll make everything new, Jesus. One day you will bind every wound. The former things shall all pass away, no more tears. One day you'll make sense of it all, Jesus. One day every question resolved, and every anxious thought left behind, no more you mm-hmm.
0: Every knee will bow and every tongue in heaven and on earth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul, writing to new believers who had lost a lot of loved ones, said, Look, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you don't grieve like the rest of humanity who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Because of that, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own words. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are kept until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep in Him. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with Him forever. In light of that, encourage one another with these words. Look, I, we will not all sleep. But We will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will all be changed. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, at that point is your victory and your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move. You always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Then I looked, and I got a glimpse of the future, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. They cried with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the poor living creatures and they fell down on their faces. And they worshiped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. And they joined with everybody who said, Amen. Stand with us and sing.
1: When we all Yeah. Hey. Lord, we stand amazed in your presence. A stand- No!
0: John says, I got one more view for you. One more that you don't want to miss. Because I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first one had passed away. No longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling now is among his people and dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. At that point, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Oh, I can't wait. no more pain no more death no more mourning no more crying no more pain for the old order of things have passed away i'll make everything new i am the alpha and omega the beginning and the end to anyone who is thirsty i will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life those who are victorious will inherit all of this he will be our god and we will so be his children. To that prayer. If you're wondering when you'll see your loved one again, my encouragement to you is to say, hold on because it'll be worth it in the end. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, your incredible power for your word, for music that is so unbelievable and its movement and ability to be able to create this incredible picture of what it's going to be like someday when we stand around your throne. And until then, would you keep us faithful, committed, Connected, encouraged, till we see you face to face. For that one this morning who is wondering, who's hurting, who's painful to who say goodbye, who's wondering do I face another surgery? this air? May they be faithful. May they continue to trust in you. May they sense your peace and your power in amazing ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray. One more refrain, and then I'll just miss you. Oh Sunday morning, we're going to end drastically different than today. And we're going to talk about the end section of James chapter 5, where it said, if you're sick, we want to pray for you. And next Sunday morning, at the end of the service, we'll give significant time, set aside, to be able to pray with those who are going through deep salt or deep water. Otherwise, we'll see you there. God bless you. Have an amazing
1: day.